0: This is a Code Red. I repeat, this is a Code Red. There are spoilers ahead, so make sure to watch all of Stranger Things 3 on Netflix before going any further. Eleven first opened the gate to the Upside Down way back in Stranger Things 1, when she made contact with a Demogorgon, that big monster with a flower face full of teeth that you know still haunts you in your dreams. (laughs) But Ross Duffer and his brother Matt, the creators of the series, they knew that the Demogorgon would be the least of Eleven's upside-down problems.
1: We always saw the Demogorgons as sharks, like the shark in Jaws, uh, in season one. But, it, but ultimately it was a creature. It was following blood. And so what we really wanted to do in turn to, to up the stakes moving forward is to create something sentient, because that's always even scarier to us
0: than just a, a creature or a monster. So, going into Stranger Things 2, they wanted an antagonist who would be more powerful than a Demogorgon, and the writers wanted something that they could build as a recurring villain. And when the writers were brainstorming what this new enemy could be, Paul Dichter, one of the writers on the show, he says they referred back to Mike, Lucas, Will, and Dustin's all-time favorite book, The Dungeons and Dragons Manual.
2: The Mind Flayer.
0: What the hell is that?
2: It's a monster from an unknown dimension. It's so ancient that it doesn't even know its true home.
0: When we came across the Mind Flayer in Dungeons & Dragons mythology, it felt like a, almost like a shocking discovery. The D&D Mind Flayer was cosmic. He was from another dimension. And he thought of himself as a superior being who wanted to take over other worlds. And so is the Stranger Things Mind Flayer. He is the all-powerful being who rules the parallel dimension known as the Upside Down. And this season, the Mind Flayer tries, once again, to take over Hawkins and the entire world as we know it. So, for our season finale, we're the ones going up against the enemy. We will face the people he flayed. We are going to end everyone. We will dissect that monster he's building out of all those townspeople. And we'll find out how, even though Eleven lost her powers, the Stranger Things gang still managed to foil the Mind Flayers' plan.
3: I can fight.
0: I'm your host, Dan Taberski, and this is Behind the Scenes of Stranger Things 3, Episode 3, The Mind Flayer. Last season, the Mindflayer tried to conquer Hawkins by unleashing an army of Demodogs and by possessing Will Byers. It's like
2: everything inside your body is just sinking all at once. But
0: this is worse. Your body—it goes cold, and, and you can't breathe. But the Mindflayer's plan failed because Eleven closed the gate. The theory was, if you close the gate, you cut the Mind Flayer off from our dimension. And so any part of him that was left in our dimension would perish. And so the kids assumed that whatever piece of the Mind Flayer was expelled from Will Byer's body had died. But that assumption? Totally wrong. What
2: if he never left?
0: What if we locked him out here with us? We always had this idea that
1: what if he was locked in here with Hawkins with the kids? and, And what would he do if he was locked in?
0: Ross and his brother Matt loved the idea that all this time, that piece of the Mind Flayer that was in Will, it hadn't died. Instead, it was lying dormant in Hawkins, stewing, waiting for the gate to be reopened. And for the Duffers and the writers, having a piece of the Mind Flayer locked up in the kid's dimension would create new possibilities for the supernatural storyline. And
1: we got excited about, you know, a couple things. One that he knew about Eleven now, which he didn't in season two. Which is really why we ended season two with the Mind Flayer hovering over Hawkins. Because now he's aware that this girl has these powers that are extraordinarily strong and, and can stop him from his evil plans.
0: Obviously, the Mind Flayer is going to try and take over the world again. It's what villains do. And this time around, he knows that to do that he's got to take out Eleven first. We thought about the idea
1: of, of him, you know, in sort of that Hellraiser way of building building a
0: body. Building a body would mean that the Mind Flayer would have a physical presence in Hawkins. And this physical proxy would be so big and so powerful and so disgusting that there is no chance he'd lose to Eleven this time. Okay, so just to be clear, this, this big fleshy spider thing that hurt L, it's... Some kind
1: of gigantic weapon? Yes. But instead of like screws and metal, the Mind Flayer
0: made its weapon with melted people.
3: Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm just making sure. The Mind Flayer starts building this creature with rats. But he quickly realizes that he needs bigger bodies. And to get those bodies, he needs a new host. This time, preferably not a sweet, innocent 13-year-old boy. We'd actually spoken about it a lot in Season 2, um, and that was something that I
2: was very aware of, but I wasn't really aware of how it was going to pan out.
0: Dacre Montgomery is the Australian actor who plays Max's big brother, Billy Hargrove. You know, the lifeguard with the sexiest mullet perm in Hawkins. Is it a mullet? Is it a perm? We don't know. It's the 80s. It was a crazy time. Having the mind flayer control Billy, this was not a new idea. The Duffers talked to Dacre last season about wanting to do some possession plotline with Billy. They even tried to work it into season two, but they weren't able to fit it in. So when they sat back down in the writers' room for Stranger Things 3, possessing Billy was back on the table. Billy is a pretty great host for two reasons. One, he's this big, magnetic, muscly guy.
2: Afternoon, ladies. Afternoon, Afternoon, Billy. Billy.
0: And he's already got an aggressive streak, which comes in handy since his whole job is knocking people out and bringing them to a warehouse to be flayed by a monster.
2: Don't be afraid, it'll be over soon.
0: And two, Billy is a convenient host because the group of kids investigating the Mind Flayer includes his little sister, Max. And Max happens to be besties with Eleven the Mind Flayers' arch nemesis. So Max and Eleven are able to snoop around Billy's bathroom together without, you know, breaking in.
3: Why do we get the feeling we're gonna find all kinds of wrong in here?
0: And in that bathroom, they find blood on the cabinets and melted ice in his bathtub, which all leads to a growing suspicion that Billy is up to something. So the kids decide to confront him.
2: And look, the controls are right here. It's perfect. Will it get hot enough? 220 degrees. We just have to figure out how to get him in here. Can we lock him in, heat him up?
4: No matter what happens, we'll know. We'll know for sure.
5: For the actual sauna test, you know, I I rewatched and I read the scene from The Shining when Jack Torrance is in the freezer.
0: Kate Trefree is a writer on Stranger Things, and she wrote the first draft of chapter four. It's the episode where the kids do a sauna test to confirm whether or not the mind flayer was actually controlling Billy.
5: Because that was kind of the feeling that I wanted to evoke and because I think that that character, you know, like vacillates so effectively from like somebody familiar to somebody horrifying, something unrecognizably bad, you know.
2: Let's talk about Jack Nicholson for a second.
0: Okay. So Jack Nicholson famously plays Jack Torrance, the main character in The Shining, one of the scariest movies ever made. And on Stranger Things, it's clear that horror-obsessed minds think alike. Because Kate was referencing The Shining in this scene. And even though they never talked about it, Dacre was looking to Jack Nicholson's performance in that movie for inspiration.
2: I feel like whether he's playing the archetypal villain or hero or somewhere in between, he gives very unusual acting choices, which I think keep the audience on their toes a little bit. That was a strategy that I wanted to employ a little bit in this season. I think it was very important, even more so than last season, to keep the audience on their toes.
0: Like when the kids are luring Billy into the sauna and he sees what he thinks is a kid who's taunting him. Got you. (laughs) Billy's creepy laugh and clap when he thinks he caught his prey, that is just one of the unusual acting choices that Dacre made while playing Billy. And once Billy gets trapped in the sauna and the kids start cranking up the heat, the line between where Billy ends and the mind flayer begins is blurred for the kids, for you and me in the audience and for Billy.
2: I think it's a fight. It's a constant fight. Like you're, you know, you're choking
0: yourself in a weird way. Dacre wanted to find a way to show the internal struggle that Billy is experiencing because of the mind flayer's control. And so he researched dissociative identity disorder, what used to be known as multiple or split personality disorder.
2: I did a lot of work about in psychology where the spot is, like which personality has control over the spot, the room, right, in your head. And I think the whole thing is the fight for Billy having the spot and having the voice So I did a lot of work on those um, people that suffer
0: or live with those conditions. The work that Dacre put into this character is important because he's not just playing Billy. In some ways, he's playing the Mind Flayer. The only time we hear the Mind Flayer speak is through Billy, both in the Upside Down and later in Billy's memories.
2: You let us in. And now,
0: you are going to have to let us stay. But Billy is just one piece of the Mind Flayer. And now we're about to get into the other slimy, toothy, 30-foot tall piece of him, the monster. Last season, the Mind Flayer wasn't a physical being. He was just this looming presence, shadowy and tornado-like. This year, the Duffers, Paul Dichter, and the rest of the writers, they wanted something more disgusting. We got really excited about going for it and building the season around some of this kind of gross body horror Cronenberg stuff that we all secretly love or not secretly. Stranger Things has always been inspired by fun 1980s sci-fi adventure movies like Star Wars and The Goonies. But with each season, things have been getting darker in Hawkins, and the writers have been going deeper into the other side of 1980s sci-fi, horror. The writers are all huge fans of body horror movies like Invasion of the Body Snatchers and David Cronenberg's The Fly, both of which starred Jeff Goldblum, by the way. Another body horror movie that the writers love, John Carpenter's The Thing, which was a direct inspiration for visual effects supervisor Paul Graff when he was creating the Mind Flayers monster. And uh, we wanted to do something
6: fleshy this year, and something with teeth and wet and heavy.
0: Paul Graf is the one who makes sure that all the animated work in Stranger Things looks as disgusting as can possibly be. But if you are the Mind Flayer, Paul Graf is also family.
6: Well, I'm sort of uh, the Mind Flayer's uncle. I was part of his inception, not, not the very idea of it, but the way he looks
0: and developing it. So Paul worked with his illustrator to come up with several options for what the Mind Flayer's creature could look like, all stemming from the same question.
6: So what would that look like if this basically, this Mind Flayer, reincarnates itself in a creature that's much more like a dinosaur or... Or like a deformed dinosaur, like a Frankenstein's dinosaur.
0: Ultimately, the Duffers settled on what the kids end up calling the Spider Monster, because it echoed the same shape as the Mind Flayers' shadowy existence last season. But like Dr. Frankenstein's monster, the Mind Flayers monster is made up of a bunch of different parts from a bunch of different people, which doesn't always make for a super elegant monster.
6: It's not a well-designed like creature. It's, a, it's like a thrown together nasty, weird body parts creature, so it should be limping, you know, like some of the, li- maybe some of those limbs that you see are like completely dysfunctional and it's just dragging them behind
0: him. And the idea of using body parts to create a monster also hits on a major theme of Stranger Things 3.
5: Puberty is disgusting and it's awful and like let's lean into that as much as we possibly can, you know.
0: This is writer Kate Treefree again. She's aware that this is a bit on the nose, but when she was thinking about puberty and how it relates to horror, she kept coming back to the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly, but not in the beautiful fairy tale hallmark kind of way.
5: I kind of always thought, I guess they like go in their cocoon and they grow wings and then they like come out. But like that's not what happens at all when a caterpillar like builds its chrysalis. Inside the chrysalis, the whole body dissolves into, like, goo. And then the DNA gets rearranged into a completely different animal. And then that animal is what is reborn.
0: In Stranger Things 3, the gang is entering their teenage years. They're getting into their cocoons. And we're seeing them in their moments of disintegration.
5: And the question is, what is being built right now? And who is building it? You know, and like, what, what is going to emerge from this? So I think that season three is like this sticky, gross, toothy, weird monster because um, it is that. It's that moment of, of everybody is kind of like turned to jelly and we're waiting on the edge of our seats to see what they become.
0: And the first time we see what the monster becomes is at the Hawkins Memorial Hospital. What starts off as Nancy and Jonathan going to check on Mrs. Driscoll, the lady with the crazy rat in her basement, it turns into one of the most terrifying action sequences this season. Nancy and Jonathan end up fighting their old sexist bosses from the Hawkins Post, Tom and Bruce.
2: We were hoping you might come
0: back. It's clear they've both come under the control of the Mind Flayer.
2: Whose blood is that?
3: Tom, whatever you've done, it's not you. He's making you do this.
0: Nancy and Jonathan defend themselves with scissors, with vases, with fire extinguishers, basically anything that they can get their hands on. And they win. Or at least they think they do. Until Tom and Bruce's bodies start twitching. Since their bodies died, they're not useful anymore. And so the mind flayer takes their body parts and liquefies them, turning them into this red gelatinous goop that starts inching down the hallway toward one another until finally the two blobs meet and merge, becoming one giant, horrifying monster.
3: It was the craziest night of filming.
0: This is Natalia Dyer, a.k.a. Nancy Wheeler, and Charlie Heaton, who plays Jonathan. He's here, too. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: So far, what we've described about the monster is what Nancy Wheeler, the character, is seeing in the hospital. But when Natalia and Charlie were on set, they're seeing something completely different.
3: And then here's this guy. Oh, it's so amazing. In the middle of this hallway and like this, you know, there's those suits. Oh, those like guy. speed suits oh, that cover oh. your whole body, Like this okay. red speed suit, this giant silver ball on his head looking like, what's that mushroom from uh, Mario, that little guy?
0: Toad. the little mushroom guy's name is Toad. But the guy who was wearing the speed suit? Not a lot of people knew my name, but they knew me as Bobblehead or Red Monster Man. Red Monster Man is Ken Bearfield. Ken is the assistant stunt coordinator on Stranger Things 3. Usually he's a stunt double, but sometimes the stunt team works with the visual effects team to help out with the CGI. Like when Andy Serkis wore that green suit when he played Gollum in Lord of the Rings. But the Mind Flayer isn't Gollum, so things are a little different. Ken had to wear a red spandex suit when he was the monster. But not because Ken looked sexy in red, which I'm sure he did, but because red was closer to the monster's coloring, and so it would be easier
4: to animate. And then he wore that giant silver ball on his head. If you could just imagine a faceless motorcycle helmet, make it three times larger than what it normally is, and reflective and silver. So Ken's in this red
0: spandex suit and chrome helmet on set, getting ready to rep the Mind Flayer's new monster.
4: No one really knew what I was going to do. They, they, all they thought that I was going to do was just literally be there for camera to have a reference.
0: But visual effects coordinator Paul Graff, he asked Ken to really perform as the monster, to bring its crazy intense energy to the scene where the monster starts
4: chasing Nancy through the hospital. And so I get lined up in the middle of the hallway and it's the first take. And I just tell myself, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And so they call action, they flicker the lights, they flicker the lights, and they push it in on the camera, and then lights come on, and I turn around, and I just let out this giant roar.
3: And he just, like, looks up and, like, screams. He's like, ah, and it's, like, right in the camera, and it's so, you're just one of those moments yeah. this is insane it really it, he gave everything but it though. really was so good it really
1: helps so he couldn't He's see like it like crashing
3: into walls and doing all this I mean amazing work but it just looks so ridiculous yeah. when you're looking at it in real life
4: they call cut and there was a moment of silence for about two seconds and then everyone started laughing and cheering and I was like okay good that worked that worked out well the monster's physicality, the way he walks and looks, that for sure
0: gave me the willies. But everyone knows that the thing that really makes you jump out of your seat in any scary movie is the sound.
4: So you're always going for a feeling with, with whatever you sort of create as a sound designer. And the feeling for me, for this monster this season, was to make him, you know, as gross as possible, but also as as large as possible and threatening and as ag- aggressive as possible.
0: Craig Hennigan is the supervising sound editor and sound designer on Stranger Things. He is the one who takes his own vocal performance and mixes it with horse stampedes and earthquakes, tigers, lions, and black bears to make the monster sound like this. But sound designing a monster, it's not just about the sounds that come out of their regular mouths and their tentacle mouths. It's about how their whole body sounds. Like when Nancy runs into an empty room and locks the door. Which, by the way, Nancy, don't ever run into a room when you're being chased, especially when you're running from a monster who just morphed itself from the ground up. Don't you think it can just morph itself back down again? Obviously, that's what it does. And that's what it does here. It melts down and goes through the grate at the bottom of the door, rebuilding itself on the other side. And it starts walking toward Nancy. Craig wanted the monster's walk to sound wet
4: and heavy. And he didn't have to go very far to find inspiration. I have a nice little backyard, and there's a one little section that doesn't have grass. It's all dirt. And uh, And luckily, it was a bit of a rainy season this year when I was working on this series. And uh, so I got my big rubber boots on and just basically soaked down an area and uh, set up a couple of microphones. And uh, I took out my laptop with a with quick time and... Uh, You know, just basically looked at what he was doing visually and sort of performed it. Craig did his own low-budget recreation of the scene. And then did a bunch of wild sounds, you know, and and different things. And I would just basically stick my foot in, in sort of like a puddle that turned into sort of mud. And then I would slowly sort of release the, the foot. That right there is the actual recording that Craig captured in his backyard. They sound pretty simple because they kind of are, right. And sometimes those are the sounds that sort of work the best, right? Because you you're looking for a performance and uh, that's what you know that's what why we go out and record as many different sounds as we can. And Craig's muddy steps became the monsters.
0: And there you go. That's how we got the most vile creature to ever grace the Stranger Things universe. But what do you do after you make a monster? You destroy it. After the Stranger Things gang fights the monster in the hospital, they head back to Hopper's cabin to regroup and strategize. Quick recap, the kids know about Billy. They know that he's bringing people to the Mind Flayer to be flayed and absorbed into this horrible monster. So the kids figure they got to find where the Mind Flayer's headquarters are in order to stop him. And that starts with finding Billy. So Eleven puts on the old blindfold and searches for him in the void. She finds Billy in his room, sitting alone on his bed.
3: And that's not normal, right? Billy's staying in his room on the 4th of July? No, that's not normal.
2: He wants us to find him.
3: Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. If we go to Billy, then the rest of the flight know where we are. It's a trap,
0: I agree. It's totally a trap, right? So rather than heading over to Billy's house and falling into that trap, Eleven cooks up an alternative plan. She is gonna go back into the void and enter Billy's memories, like she did with her mom last year. If she goes into his memories, she should be able to find the source. So she sits down in front of the TV static and puts on that blindfold again.
4: Billy. Can you hear me? I want, I want to see I
3: want to, to see what happened.
0: Billy grabs onto Eleven's arm, and when he lets her go, she falls backwards, into his memories. She lands on a sandy beach in California, where she sees Billy as a little boy, surfing while his mom watches proudly. You did
3: it! There's...
5: Oh boy. Did you see that? Yeah I saw that. <laughs> that was only seven feet. Well, it was, but it gave me a heart Ten more minutes? It was very like eternal sunshine, you know, like referential. This
0: is writer Kate Trefree again. The other influential movie for her was The Cell. It's a sci-fi horror movie from the year 2000, but this one isn't about gross body stuff. Instead, in The Cell, j plays a doctor who goes inside the mind of a serial killer. And Kate and the writers, they wanted to utilize that same tool of actually going into somebody's mind in order to understand why they act the way they do. So for Eleven in this memory cloud, she's seeing Billy as a little boy whose dad was abusive and whose mom left him. She's not just seeing Billy as Max's bully of a big brother.
5: We got to take it a step further and be like, where did that come from, you know? Not just that he's like this bad dude, but that he's a product of his environment and that he perpetuates that.
0: When Eleven is walking through these memories, she finds the source.
5: I'm
3: born.
1: Steelworks.
0: Mission accomplished. So she takes off her blindfold, expecting to be back in the cabin with Mike and her friends. Mike? And she's in the cabin, but her friends, they're not there. Mike? She's somewhere in between the upside down and our world. Mike! Mike! He can't hear you. Billy walks into the room, but with a deeper voice, because it's not really Billy. It's the mind flayer talking through Billy. And he tells her that she has made a big mistake trying to go into Billy's mind. Because now I see you. But, seeing into Billy's painful past, that is what ends up saving her.
1: We couldn't do one another ending where it's just Eleven at the end, just holding out her hand and, and vanquishing this thing.
0: In the early days of writing Stranger Things 3, Ross Duffer and his brother Matt knew that Eleven would lose her powers. So, instead of having Eleven come in and fight the monster and save her friends again, she loses her powers at the mall, right before the monster shows up.
1: So you're always looking for the, how do you shake things up, how do you make things too more challenging, you know, and, and if it becomes difficult for us as writers, that's good. It's gonna get challenging, and we have to figure a way out of this situation, just like the characters have to figure a way out of the situation. That sort of naturally led to the Billy moment. I don't, that, that moment was not always planned in that way. I mean, he was always going to die, but um, we didn't know how.
0: The writers threw all kinds of monster takedown ideas against the wall.
5: There was a pitch that lived for a long time that, like, the kids would load up the family truckster the giant horrible station wagon new car that karen has with fireworks and like drive it off the edge of the of the balcony and like explode the mine flare like using this car it's like this literal like suburban icon like crashing into this lovecraftian you know monster and i was like it's, f- it's fucking sweet we got to do it and like <laughs> it was we were going to do it for a while and then No, that didn't. That was too crazy. And also, like, not narratively (laughs) tied to anything except for, like, 4th of July (laughs) explosions.
0: They actually kept the fireworks explosion idea, but they dialed it down a bit. Instead of driving a car full of explosives into the mall, the kids would light fireworks and throw them off the balcony at the monster. The explosions don't do enough damage, and the kids start running low on ammo.
5: That's when we kind of realized that, like, that window into his humanity would be the only way to sidestep the Mind Flayers' grip.
0: Kate and the writers decided to have Eleven talk to Billy about what she saw in the memory cloud, trying to coax him out of the Mind Flayers' control.
4: You told her the wave was seven feet.
1: Bringing that up and reminding him of that... I guess, you know, that innocent person that he used to be, just that reminder allows him at least for however long, if it's 15 or 20 seconds, to sort of protect her. And that's really all he needs to do in in order to, to, to save Eleven in that moment.
4: She was really pretty. And you, you were happy.
0: We see the veins retreating from Billy's face he's becoming Billy again. For Dacre Montgomery, who plays Billy, it was a super intense scene to shoot. We shot that scene over three days, and we both lost our voice because
2: every time prior to the take rolling, we would just scream at each other and scream and scream and scream until we cried. And I think it was very emotional because that was also, we shoot Predominantly chronologically, in the two-episode order. So that was also my last day on set.
1: We, I think, maybe did two takes, two or three takes. I think Millie nailed it on take two. And then you don't want to mess with it anymore and you walk
0: away from it. Billy stands up and fights back, protecting Eleven from the monster. The monster picks him up with its tentacles and kills Billy. right in front of Eleven and Max. Eleven has witnessed a lot of horrible things in her short life, but Billy's death is especially complicated and painful for her.
5: Season three is, she has a privileged, you know, she has all of this privileged access to him because she... gets in his actual head, you know, and sees the side of him that no one else has ever been able to see. And I think that in doing that, she mourns Billy, like, differently than anyone else because she's really mourning the death of, like, this child that she met on the beach, you know? And I think that that is intense. And
0: by fighting back, Billy is able to distract the Mind Flayers monster just long enough for Joyce to turn the keys in the Russian lab and close the gate cutting off the Mind Flayer's brain from his creature's body. The monster stumbles around the atrium in Starcourt Mall before it crashes to the ground and dies. The U.S. Army swoops in to clean up the mess. And since Hopper didn't make it out of the lab, Joyce takes in Eleven as her own. Eleven's still not able to use her powers, but she at least has a loving new family now. And the buyers? They are moving out of Hawkins. The season ends with Joyce closing the door on her empty house. Or at least we think that's where it ends. This has been behind the scenes of Stranger Things 3. Before we go, I just want to point out that while you heard from quite a lot of people on this show, it's just a smidgen of the cast and crew. If you include all the extras and assistants and the people on the fringe of the show who still had a hand in it, it took over a thousand people to make Stranger Things. So next time you put on an episode, maybe hit that watch credits button. Look at all those names on the screen and think about what it is that they do day after day to make this show you love. It's actually pretty incredible. So thank you to everyone who works on Stranger Things. And thanks to everyone who makes this show. Ray Vada is our executive producer at Netflix. Max Linsky, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Barry Finkel are our executive producers at Pineapple Street Media. Barry Finkel also produced and wrote this show. Melissa Slaughter is our associate producer extraordinaire. Anne Hepperman is our editor. Our engineer who scored, mixed, and mastered this whole damn thing is Hannes Brown. I have been your host, Dan Taberski. Special thanks to Denise Godoy for taking us on a tour of Gwinnett Place Mall. And thanks to all of you for listening. Make sure to keep telling your friends about it. There will be more exclusive looks into your favorite Netflix series and films right here in this feed. So stay subscribed and don't go anywhere.
5: We always wanted them to move. That was like, it actually was like a much bigger part of the season initially. We had like a whole like plot line of like, Joyce is trying to sell her house. And like, you know, people come to see the house. But like, there's holes in the wall from the axe and like... <laughs> So we got like a few weeks in and we were like, "Is this boring? <laughs> is real estate boring? Maybe we should pivot.:
0: And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you do a post-credit scene.